0: Conversations on Health Care, I'm Mark Maselli. And I'm Margaret Flinter. Well, Margaret, President-elect Trump held his first press conference at Trump Towers in New York. He stuck to his guns on the promise to repeal and replace the health care law simultaneously not repeal and delay, as some Republicans have been promising to do. Trump saying that it will be done as soon as a plan can be devised to replace the complex health care law. Should we expect to hear some more discussion on the topic of the new administration? I would expect so.
1: Trump also used the forum to announce his choice for secretary of the Veterans Administration, Mark. Dr. David Shulkin was handpicked by President Obama to revamp the Veterans Health Administration, which has been plagued by controversy in the past few years due to long wait times at many VA facilities around the country and evidence of poor health outcomes, even untimely deaths as a result. This VA scandal led to a lot of scrutiny on how best to improve the system. That's not an easy lift, but Dr. David Shulkin has a solid reputation for turning health systems around. We wish him well on that.
0: We certainly do, and we might have been a little prescient by having him on just a few months ago. He's a highly regarded troubleshooter, a hands-on practitioner as well. He brings extensive expertise from the private sector. We thought it would be a good idea to revisit our interview with
1: him. And Lori Robertson will check in, the managing editor of factcheck.org. She's always on the hunt for misstatements spoken about health policy in the public domain. But no matter what the
0: topic, you can hear all of our shows by going to chcradio.com. And as always, if you have comments, please email us at chcradiochc at onecom or find us on Facebook or Twitter. We love hearing from you.
1: We'll get to our interview with Dr. David Shulkin in just a moment.
0: But first, here's our producer, Marianne O'Hare, with this week's Headline News.
2: I'm Mariano O'Hare with these health care headlines. In his first news conference in six months, President-elect Donald Trump made good on his promise to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. Once there's a replace plan he agrees to, the Senate followed suit in a late-night session, came to a vote 51-48, to 48, moving ahead with repeal of the health care law. President-elect Trump also made it pretty clear he would be going after pharmaceutical companies for high prices, especially those with manufacturing plants in China and India, which have incurred many safety violations for failing to report hazards in their production facilities, saying the companies are getting away with murder. His comments sent some pharmaceutical stocks tumbling in the wake of his pronouncements. The pharmaceutical industry lost roughly $24 billion in value within minutes of the president-elect's claims. Analysts aren't certain exactly how the Trump administration will clamp down on such companies. He had agreement on the matter, though, from an unlikely source. Senator Bernie Sanders actually chimed in on Trump's warning to Big Pharma, saying it was time to clamp down on the extreme profits in the pharmaceutical industry that are directly linked to the high cost of health care in this country. President-elect Trump also used the public forum to announce he'd offered the position of Secretary of the Veterans Administration to Dr. David Shulkin, currently the Undersecretary for Veterans Health at the VA, who had been selected previously by the Obama White House to fix the problems of long wait times and poor care at VA facilities. Shulkin is new to the VA with a celebrated career in the private sector. Trump had offered the job to Cleveland Clinic CEO Toby Cosgrove, who turned it down. The Trump team also interviewed current director of the National Institutes of Health, Dr. Francis Collins, to potentially keep the post he has held for the past eight years. Collins, who led the team that mapped the human genome and has been critical of congressional budget cuts to the agency, has expressed an interest to stay on in the post. Maryland Congressman Andy Hardy has also expressed interest in the position. Harris is an obstetric anesthesiologist who has advocated for a more high-risk, high-reward approach at the NIH to accelerate the pace of research. President-elect Trump is getting a lot of inside advice from Silicon Valley mogul Peter Thiel, who's advising the transition team on a number of health and science positions within the new administration. He's also been taking suggestions from organizations such as Faster Cures, part of the Milken Institute, and Research America. Faster Cures was instrumental in the passage of the 21st Century Cures Act, which passed with bipartisan support at the end of last year, securing billions of dollars for biomedical research, including the cancer moonshot launched in the Obama administration and run by Vice President Joe Biden. The outgoing VP did express outrage recently at the ongoing siloed nature of the information technology systems in the healthcare industry. Biden, who will continue to lead efforts under the Cancer Moonshot Initiative, citing his own son Beau's frustrating journey through a healthcare system stymied by dysfunctional health information systems that didn't talk to each other. His son succumbed to brain cancer in 2015 at the age of 46. And take to sun salutations and call me in the morning. In a series of randomized clinical trials, yoga seems to have a moderate effect on alleviating chronic low back pain in long-term sufferers. The data were called from about a dozen studies around the world, which compared those who did no exercise at all versus those who did yoga, or yoga with a little bit of other exercise. Those practicing yoga showed modest improvement in their chronic pain. While there's not an abundance of data and more studies are needed, the results lead to a possible non-drug intervention for some suffering from chronic pain, an issue that impacts millions of people around the globe. I'm O'Hare with these Healthcare
0: Headlines. We're speaking today with the Honorable Dr. David Shulkin, Undersecretary of Health at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs as Chief Executive Officer of Veterans Health Administration. Dr. Shulkin leads the nation's largest integrated healthcare system, serving the health needs of almost 9 million U.S. veterans. Dr. Shulkin is the former president and CEO of Beth Israel Medical Center in New York City and served as chief medical officer at the University of Pennsylvania Health System, the hospital of the University of Pennsylvania, and the medical Medical College of Pennsylvania Hospital. A board-certified internist, Dr. Shulkin is a fellow of the American College of Physicians and has been named one of the 50 most influential physician executives in healthcare by Modern Healthcare. He received his medical degree from the Medical College of Pennsylvania, completed his internship at Yale University School of Medicine and his residency at the University of Pittsburgh Presbyterian Medical Center. Dr. Shulkin, welcome to Conversations on Healthcare
3: thank you glad to be here
0: congratulations on the work that you're doing at the veterans administration you came in from the private sector to help out the va tackle what i think most of the people knows is some very serious administrative problems and the long waiting times uh, delayed care but the va also serves admirably nine million american veterans at 1700 care sites and employs some 300,000 healthcare workers around the country. I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners the sort of scope and complexity of the challenges you face in seeking to rectify some of those cultural embedded obstacles.
3: Well, Mark, thank you for allowing me to have a little time to share with you and your listeners today. The VA healthcare system is a vital healthcare system for not only America's veterans, but actually for all of American healthcare. I don't think most people realize this is the largest healthcare care system in the country, and we can see the resources of the VA healthcare care system being deployed around the country to the parts of the country that need it to help meet needs in times of emergencies. So we're the largest employer of doctors, nurses, a large number of hospitals in the country. But just to give you a size, we are the only health care system that is responsible for delivering care in every nook and cranny of this country, wherever a veteran lives, even if we don't have VA facilities there. So we work closely with community providers and do what it takes to be able to provide the veterans of this country the health care that they deserve.
1: Dr. Shulkin, let's talk about some of these challenges. I know a whistleblower called attention to the problem of the long wait lines in 2014, and there was an independent audit showing the problem was pretty pervasive. I think at that time, more than 57,000 veterans had been waiting 90 days or longer for new patient appointments across the country. And the VA really responded strongly to this long wait time issue with the program called Veterans Choice, really an innovation that allowed veterans to seek care outside the VA if they did face a long wait. But that program had a whole new set of administrative issues and challenges. Help us understand the intent of Veterans Choice and the challenges you encountered, and, and how is that faring now?
3: Well, first of all, I do have to say that what we now call the wait time crisis that happened in April 2014 was a significant challenge to the VA healthcare system. I, of course, came at the President's request after the crisis to bring my private sector experience to the VA to try to focus and address the solutions of access in healthcare. And so this has been my number one priority. Congress actually gave us the Choice Program as an additional tool, but you have to remember that the VA has, for years and years, provided about 20% of its care in the community already to supplement the VA health care system, and the Choice Program mm-hmm. was supplemental funding provided by Congress to be able to do this. As you said, the Choice Program was filled with administrative complexity, and the VA health care system had 90 days from the passage of the choice program to implement a nationwide new program, and I think that we all know now in retrospect that to do a program of this size and scope that it probably needed to take longer than ninety days but we 've worked through many of those problems as we 've increased our authorizations of care in the community over fourfold in the past year, which means that it 's working better we 're taking care of more veterans but it still is a program that's far too complex and too burdensome so we've asked congress to make major changes in the program so it works better for veterans and that legislation is pending for a congressional vote, we hope.
0: You know, speaking of complexities, veterans face a whole host of medical issues that are unique to their service. Perhaps one of the most pervasive is post-traumatic stress disorder, and I think it's really difficult for non-veterans to understand the depth of the challenge. An estimated 20% of veterans face lingering effects of uh, PTSD and other mental health issues, and the VA has made a dedicated commitment to confronting the epidemic. It's estimated that 20 Veterans are committing suicide every day. And I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about the VA's targeted effort in addressing the crisis and also how does uh, President Obama's campaign to improve mental health access for vets and their family come into play here?
3: Yeah. I think starting with what is clearly an unacceptable situation is the place to start this discussion. And that's the 20 veterans a day who are taking their life. It's just a horrific number unacceptable and really one of our areas of top focus to address this. When you look into that number and there are 20 veterans a day taking their life, only six of them are getting care within the VA health care system. That means there are, there are 14 a day who are out there potentially disconnected from the best resources that can help them and address their care. So One of the things that we are doing very diligently is reaching out to as many community organizations as we can and reaching out to churches and other groups and friends and family of veterans and making sure that they know that if they see a veteran that is isolated or potentially in crisis to make sure that they are utilizing the resources that are available in the VA, particularly our Veterans Crisis Line, Mm -hmm. which is open 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. What we're doing needs to be much more than that. And we have over 300 suicide prevention coordinators who do nothing every day but work to address this issue. We are implementing a research tool that actually predicts, uses our data to analytically predict those Mm -hmm. at highest risk for suicide, and proactively reaching out to those veterans and making sure that we can offer them uh, resources, help, and assistance. And so uh, we have a number of different programs to try to address this because it is such a critical issue, not only for veterans, but really for all Americans, where the crisis in suicide really mm-hmm. has reached uh, what I would call epidemic levels.
1: Well, Dr. Shulkin, let me uh, ask you first Related to mental health, but also an independent risk factor is the problem of homelessness among our veteran population. And I think the, the stat on this is in 2014, which is a couple of years ago now, there were an estimated 50,000 homeless veterans across the country. And yet, just in the past year even, I've I've heard uh, some reports of significant progress in some states, including our own, about particularly targeting homeless vets and reducing and getting closer to ending homelessness Talk to us a little bit, if you would, about some of the demographics of homeless veterans. How are they different from the veteran population as a whole? And tell us about the program the VA and states across the country have to try and mitigate this problem.
3: Well, I think this is an area that I hope uh, all Americans are proud of the efforts that are going on. One of the unique things about the VA healthcare care system is, is that it not only focuses on the physical health issues of our veterans, but actually focuses in on the social issues, the psychological issues, and the economic issues. And as a physician, you can't really address a person's health and well-being if they don't have a home. And so VA has really focused on this. And over the last four years, we have reduced veteran homelessness across the country by 46%. -hmm. And that means that we've housed hundreds of thousands of veterans and their families But as you know, the issue of homelessness is a chronic problem. More and more veterans continue to find themselves economically challenged and find themselves in this situation. In fact, um, we were just with a group of veterans recently in the South that uh, were homeless, and all of them actually had jobs. Hmm. But at minimum wage, they weren't able to afford housing. We're working with the Housing and Urban Development. Federal officials were working with local builders and real estate landlords to try to find affordable housing for those that need it and certainly our goal is is to end veteran homelessness. Uh, states like Connecticut that you're mentioning have really done a terrific job in pulling together state, local, and federal resources to be able to actually end homelessness among veterans.
0: We're speaking today with the Honorable Dr. David Shulkin, Under Secretary of Health at the U.S. Veterans Affairs Department, and the Chief Executive of the Veterans Health Administration. Dr. Shulkin leads the nation's largest integrated healthcare system serving the nine million uh, U.S. veterans. Uh, Dr. Shulkin, uh, you have a national reputation in transforming healthcare, and prior to the VA, you were credited with turning um, Beth Israel Medical Center around, and and yet you took a 90% pay cut to join the VA. So it was really obviously about service. But I'd love to hear from you of what motivated you to take on the challenges and also the larger task of transformation. What are the building blocks for success as you think about moving a very large ship in a different direction?
3: I'd like to think that I'm no different than any other American. As I was watching now over two and a half years ago, the wait time issues Mm -hmm. play out over national TV and newspapers, watching as we saw that veterans weren't getting their healthcare needs met i was as outraged as most americans what i didn't realize is is that in a few weeks i would be getting a phone call from the white house asking whether i would be willing to step up and be part of the solution and help fix it how can you say no
0: mm-hmm.
3: uh, these are people who have put their lives on the line to protect our freedoms this is an obligation that all of us as citizens have, so, so I left my position, and here I am, and I hope that all of my experience that I've brought uh, to the table is helpful in transforming the VA in the way that you described.
1: Well, Dr. Shulkin, I know you're a practicing internist, but you've also spent time in your career teaching. And I'm not sure that uh, many people outside of healthcare know that the VA is actually the largest organization training health profession students in the country. So, I know you've been engaged in an initiative at the VA to recruit heavily to make sure that you have the clinical staffing, and we've collaborated nationally with some of the leaders in developing your postgraduate nurse practitioner residency programs. And talk with us a little bit about the scope of health professions training in the VA.
3: Yeah, one of the questions I hear quite frequently is, you know, why do we need the VA system? Why not just give out a voucher Uh system? And people may not realize the other things that the VA healthcare care system does for the country. One of those is we train over 120,000 health professionals mm-hmm. every year in the VA system. We are the largest trainer, as you said, of doctors, nurses, physical therapists, pharmacists, social workers. Uh, if it was not for the VA healthcare care system, there would not be the supply mm-hmm. of health care professionals for the rest of America. Um, it is said that 70 percent, of U.S. physician medical students uh, go through the VA during part of their training. I know in my training, uh, I went through three VA medical centers, Mm -hmm. and uh, that's where I gained the valuable experience uh, that I was able to bring out into the private sector. Uh, Without the size and scope of our training programs, uh, much of what we see out in the rest of the country wouldn't be possible. As you mentioned, I do still practice internal medicine. I practice in the VA system now. I think it's really important that I stay close to what's happening, and I interact with these trainees and these students mm-hmm. when I practice. Interestingly, I practice both in person, but I also practice in Grants Pass, Oregon mm. from my office here in Washington, D.C., overlooking the White House using telemedicine. Fantastic. And, and what people don't recognize is VA is very technologically advanced, yep. the largest user of telemedicine in the country by far, and this is another thing that we expose our trainees to, so uh-huh. they come out of Uh, the VA system, knowing how to use electronic medical records, knowing how to use telehealth, knowing how to use these advanced technologies, and they bring that skill to the rest of American medicine.
0: Well, I'd like to pull the thread a little on that, because on one hand, you're trying to make sure the VA is an efficient, effective, and hopefully an elegant healthcare delivery system, a world-class system, and you were just talking about engaging in new delivery systems. The president has a new precision medicine initiative that's out there. Uh, Where do you see the role of uh, precision medicine, genomics, and the like uh, being rolled out in the veterans' administration?
3: Well, I think under the president's leadership, we've really embraced this type of medicine as the future of where healthcare is going, how we can do a better job to treat veterans and all Americans. VA has played a central role, not only in precision medicine, but in uh, the moonshot efforts, mm-hmm. which uh, mm-hmm. the vice president right. leads right. in order to help find and advance our care and curing of patients who have cancer. One of these other things that makes VA unique is our research. We provide over $1.6 billion of research every year dedicated specifically to advancing the health of veterans, so no other organization does that. And one of the uh, areas that VA leads in is we have the world's largest database of genomic material doing sequencing on the materials of over one million veterans, and today have the largest database in the world of this type of genomic data that we can match up with our electronic medical record. And so we're doing studies to advance cancer care and care for PTSD and traumatic brain injury and mental health, all in a way that no other organization Mm -hmm. in the country is able to do at this point. And so our commitment to precision medicine, our leadership in precision medicine, we believe is yet another example of why VA is so critical for not only veterans, but all of American healthcare.
1: Well, Dr. Shulkin, I think we all in healthcare have benefited from that. And also your work in healthcare delivery system redesign, your patient care aligned teams, uh, so many areas that I think have really been a benefit to everybody in healthcare. So thank you for that. Just one more innovation, we'd like to check in with you on the Blue Button Initiative, the online electronic health portal where veterans can access their health data, something most of us uh, in healthcare are still trying to figure out what's the secret sauce to getting people to use the portal. What's your research and utilization and delivery system studies showing you in that arena. One of the
3: very early innovators of electronic medical records was VA, of and uh, 30 years of history now of using this. And so, what we've been working on is interoperability of sharing of information. So, VA is participating in hundreds of these health information exchanges around the country because our veterans are getting care both within the system and outside the system. And we've been trying to innovate in this area. The blue button, of course, was one of those innovations. But we have a whole team uh, called the U.S. Digital Team that was actually one of the president's initiatives to bring people from Silicon Valley. We have a whole team helping us design many of these innovations in a similar way. We're just launching a website called vets.gov, which will be a single source of information now uh... you have to go to multiple websites and you have to know the right numbers to call Mm -hmm. but vets.gov will be the single source where people can access all information on veteran services. So we continue to try to innovate in this area.
0: We've been speaking today with the Honorable Dr. David Shulkin, Under Secretary of Health at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, the nation's largest integrated healthcare system, serving the health needs of almost 9 million U.S. veterans. You can learn more about their work by going to va.gov, or you can follow them on Twitter at Veterans Health. Dr. Shulkin, thank you so much for joining us on Conversations on
3: Healthcare. Sure, Day. thank you.
0: At Conversations on Healthcare, we want our audience to be truly in the know when it comes to the facts about healthcare reform and policy. Lori Robertson is an award-winning journalist and managing editor of factcheck.org, a nonpartisan, nonprofit consumer advocate for voters that aim to reduce the level of deception in US politics. Laurie, what have you got for us this week?
4: House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi greatly exaggerated in saying, quote, seventy-five percent of the American people get their health benefits through their workplace. Around 50% of the total population has employer-sponsored insurance. Pelosi made the 75% claim repeatedly in a conference call in early January and again at a press conference on Republicans' plans to repeal the Affordable Care Act. Democrats have stressed in the past that the ACA isn't a government-run health care system, but instead it builds upon the work-based insurance system that already existed in the country. And that's accurate. But Pelosi's claim that 75% of what she called the American people get health insurance through their employer isn't accurate. The nonpartisan Kaiser Family Foundation estimates that 49% of the total population had employer health insurance coverage in 2015. KFF figures are based on the Census Bureau's current population survey for March. Separately, the Census Bureau issues an annual report, the latest of which found that 55.7% of the population had employer-based insurance for part or all of 2015. So where did Pelosi get her figure? Her office told us she was referring to the percentage of working adults, excluding seniors, and that the figure came from a staff analysis of the Census Bureau's report for 2014. The census figures for that year show 78.8% of all workers, both full-time and part-time, had private health insurance. Pelosi's staff lowered that to 75% to account for those buying private insurance on the ACA exchanges or on the individual market. But there is census data for this very specific subset, working adults under 65 with employer insurance. 71% of all workers age 18 to 64 who worked part-time or full-time had employment-based coverage in 2014, and in 2015. That's close to the figure Pelosi used, but it does not represent the percentage of the American people with employer-based coverage, as she repeatedly said. And that's my Fact Check for this week. I'm Lori Robertson, Managing Editor of FactCheck.org.
1: FactCheck.org is committed to factual accuracy from the country's major political players and is a project of the Annenberg Public Policy Center at the University of Pennsylvania. If you have a fact that you'd like checked, Email us at chcradio.com. We'll have factcheck.org's Lori Robertson check it out for you here on Conversations on Healthcare. Each week, Conversations highlights a bright idea about how to make wellness a part of our communities and everyday lives. Katherine Couch is a self-taught chef with a love of organic foods and a penchant for helping people in need. After launching her own meal delivery service in Northern California, she often encountered someone battling a serious illness who was just too tired or too sick to prepare nutritious food. What happens when people get diagnosed with a serious
5: health problem is their life becomes very stressful and especially for cancer patients, you also don't feel like eating. And so food at the moment when it needs to be really, really important for many people drops to the bottom of the priority list for a whole host of reasons. And on the other side, are raising a generation of young people that don't know how to prepare food and don't understand the power that food has in their own life, but also for the life of the community and for the environment.
1: Couch is driven by the idea that food is medicine, especially for somebody who's suffering the toxic side effects of chemotherapy. When a friend asked if she would employ her teenage daughter in her kitchen for a summer, she stumbled on a way to grow her enterprise, hire teenage workers, use professional chefs to train them to cook healthy meals with organic ingredients, and place the power of healing with food into their hands. She launched the Ceres Project, named after the goddess of agriculture and fertility. She started hiring dozens of local teenagers, many of whom had never cooked or held a job, and she says the transformation in these kids is just amazing.
5: They walk into a situation where people are being the best of who they can be. They're invited into that. They're given an opportunity To be an owner and to make a real difference in someone's life, we have this rich resource in our community of teenagers who are actually longing to be given real opportunities to contribute. So it's a win-win on all those levels. And at the same time, they're all learning how to cook and eat
1: healthy food. Couch has been contacted by interested organizations around the country that seek to replicate the program. The series project earned Couch a CNN Heroes Award. But the real reward she says she experiences in everyday encounters in the hundreds of teens that she's trained and in the thousands of clients that they have served healthy meals to clients come in every day and talk about what it was like to be diagnosed and what
5: their journey has been like as they've been sick and the difference that the food has made for them and and it includes sometimes people who know they're terminal it includes sometimes partners who've lost their partner, who come in and talk about the difference that the kids made at the end stage of life. And there's a lot of tears that happen in that in that room, and it's very profound.
1: A program that trains young people in the art of healthy cooking, using those skills to feed those suffering from serious illness who might otherwise face malnutrition, empowering empathy in the kids, helping others to fight illness in the process. These are all bright ideas. This is Conversations on Healthcare. I'm Margaret Flinter.
0: And I'm Mark Maselli.
1: Peace and health.
2: Conversations on Healthcare, broadcast from the campus of WESU at Wesleyan University. Streaming live at WESUFM.org and brought to you by the Community Health Center.